Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this. Let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. May this service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. And so the unchanging epigraph of our study of our imperishable inheritance that is in Jesus Christ, the book of Luke 24, 44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And so that we as the participants of the body of Christ would share together with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about him in Scripture, we will continue to study our collaboration with the truth of the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth in our heart. What we need to do from our side so that we can receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so that we can clothe our bodies into a new way of life. Here it's talking about the body because our spirit is already renewed, which is why our soul is renewed if we have the mind of Christ, but our body continues to remain the same. We're talking about what we need to do so that our bodies also be clothed into a new form of life, so that this mark of time upon the forehead and the f faces of all people when people age, they become weaker, so that all of this would stop. And eternal and youthful, incorrupt body would become. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful lusts, to be made new by the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created by God into righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, this is our calling. And if the saints will not comprehend this calling, then they are going to church in vain, they evangelize in vain, they pray in vain, they pursue 
uh, something in vain. If there are goals that God not, has not placed, then we are not fulfilling our calling. God paid an incredible price giving His Son so that He can redeem our spirit, soul, and body. And for some reason, we treat the body uh, in, in, a, in a negligent way. God looks at your body very differently. This is His house. He is planning to live there forever. And in some bodies, He already lives, although they're still in the corrupt state. He is living there, just as He lived in the Temple of Solomon, which was also not in accordance to His Spirit. It was a materialistic, physical, temporary temple, and the Eternal God lived in it. It is the same thing now. The Eternal God lives in our body. The difference between that temple and our body is that that was a dead building out of material. This is the living material, our bodies. And so to fulfill this decreeing commandment, we need to put three destiny impacting, commanding, and fundamental acts into practice. These are put off, be renewed, and put on. Fulfilling these three destiny impacting, commanding, and fundamental requirements will determine whether we transform ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath. If we have not understood our calling, then we are transforming ourselves into vessels of wrath, although in our mind we may think we're doing good things, good deeds, because a carnal person thinks that if a poor person is in the street, he needs to give him a coin, he needs to give him something. But the thing is, that is not a good deed. A good deed is what God says. That is what we do. What is a good work, a good deed? This is the work of God. When they ask Jesus, what do we do to do the works of God? Good deeds. They said, believe in the one in in the one whom I sent. You see where the good deed is. It is not in helping a poor person or something else, but to believe in the one whom God has sent, his messengers. Believe the words of his messengers whom he has entrusted with his words. And so more, and so understanding these things will mean whether we confirm our salvation that is given to us in the format of a seed as in a down payment of our justification we see in the three above mentioned acts that we need to turn them into profit in the death of our Lord Jesus so that we can receive it as a possession the salvation in the format of the fruit of righteousness otherwise we will forever lose the justification that is given to us in the format of a guarantee or in the format of of a down payment and as a result then our names which were written into the book of life in the format of the given to us down payment when we made a covenant with God will forever be blotted out of the book of life <clears throat> in a specific format we already looked at the process contained in the first two requirements and stopped to study the process of the third requirement and specifically what conditions we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind we can begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of the glory of our new person who is created according to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and in holy truth. In other words, to clothe ourselves into the new person is to clothe ourselves into words of faith that are within our heart.
truth that we have concealed in our heart, we confess it, the, the truth about our body, about our purpose, about our calling. And so when we proclaim that not existent uh, stronghold of incorruption in our body as existent, we clothe ourselves into our new person. And when the time comes that God has appointed, which is within his power, this will happen and it will happen here on earth. <clears throat> Relevant to this, we stop to study the allegory contained in the 18th Psalm of David, and all of the Psalms of David, almost all of them, are allegories where we see in the Psalm of David where the Holy Spirit with the wisdom and authority that He alone has reveals the demands according to which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer, the price we need to pay to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon or God Most High, as David in the Psalm calls God El Elyon, meaning Most High. And this condition consists in us calling upon the Most High as to our God and proclaiming the faith of our heart when we are in, are in the circumstance of our tight situation, casting off our old man. We call upon Him stating who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, who we are to God in Jesus Christ because of where from whom we were born and what do we need to do so that we can inherit all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And we know what we need to do. We need to confess. First, we need to accept it, who we are to God, what He's done for us, and then confess and proclaim the not existent as existent. Only in this way will we be able to inherit all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He has adopted our body by the redemption of Christ. <clears throat> He isn't planning to adopt it. He already adopted it 2,000 years ago. We note that the given allegory is one of the most powerful and voluminous examples demonstrating the collaboration of our renewed mind as King David and the name of God Most High and their violent conflict with our carnal mind in the form of King Saul and also with governing sin, who is our old person with his deeds, whom we have inherited from the line of our fathers, from genetically from our fathers, who has passed on to us in the corrupt seed, in the sinful seed of our fathers. In one body, three kings that battle between one another, amongst one another, and they are doing this to possess our body, take control of our body. Our heart is the field of battle. And that king will possess our body, the one that we give consideration to the one that we collaborate with will we collaborate with our carnal mind or with our old man the fleshly desires the corrupt desires coming from our flesh or will we collaborate with our new person that contains that information of who God is for us and who we are to him in its character the prayer psalm of David contains three parts where we see demonstrated an example of the character of our legitimate prayer that belongs to us as kings, priests, and prophets. And so if a person does not possess the status of a king, a priest, and a prophet, the words that I say will not be understood by him. They will likely prompt his anger, or he will just be sleeping, because it is not for him at all. He doesn't understand. He does not have, a, as, as they say, a king in his head because the mind of man as it is, is 
subject to his corrupt desires and the mind of man, the carnal mind, serves uh, these corrupt desires. The renewed mind serves the interests of the new person that has the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ. The first part identifies the state of the heart of David as a warrior in prayer. This was the required basis for the legitimate status of his prayer belonging to us as kings, priests, and prophets. Second part opens up the consistency of this legitimate prayer, which belongs to kings, priests, and prophets, which gives God the proper basis to deliver us in the image of David from the hand of all of our enemies. And so, we see David, we see ourselves in David, our new person. Saul is the old nature or our carnal mind. And so the corrupt desires, this is the Malachite king, Agog. The third part illustrates the prayer battle itself. It contains an epic genre which is beyond the limitations of the typical human mind. And so in a specific format, we already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part, which opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer in the eight names of God Most High which practically are diluted in all 50 names of God and in are in one another and they confirm the truthfulness of one another. And so talking about one name, you will find the others in it as well. Every name, of course, has its own specific function, its own specific form. And we need to understand these names so that we can collaborate with them getting to know and confessing the power that is contained in the heart of David, consisting of these eight names of God, allowed David to love and call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so that he can be saved from his enemies. The number eight is the number of the covenant, and so David turns to God and does it according to the covenant and brings forth eight names. If he was doing it according to one of his, uh, to, for example, holiness, he would have brought forth ten names. And God getting to know and confessing the truth that opens up the power of his names within the heart of David, which David is confessing, because if we don't confess the faith of our heart, our faith will die. For our faith to be living, it needs to be confessed. It lives because we are confessing it. Not confessing our faith, our faith begins to die. We will be losing it. Whatever knowledge we may have, if we're not confessing them as our possession as our own, our faith will die. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. And I have been saved from my enemies, Psalm 18, 1 through 4, let us together proclaim the faith of our heart, stating who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, who we are to him, in these eight names. Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock in whom I take refuge. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. And Lord, you are my stronghold. May the Lord hear these and confirm this confession within our heart 
in a way that it be clearly written there that when the time comes to fulfill it, then he as the reader will be able to easily read it. And although time is saying it's it tarries, it's written in scripture, but you wait for it, it will still happen or come to pass because God is unchanging in his words. As much as the Lord has allowed, and according to the measure of our faith, we already studied our inherited lot in Christ Jesus in the power of five names of God in the form of strength, rock, fortress, deliverer, living rock, and living shield. Therefore, we will immediately begin studying our unsearchable inherited lot in Jesus Christ in the name of God, horn, the horn of our salvation. And so a horn it grows from the body of an animal. This speaks of the fact that an infant cannot have a horn, a, a carnal man cannot have a horn, although he has just repented. Only those people have a horn who have grown into full measure of growth in Christ, those can collaborate with this name. You can't collaborate with the name of God horn if you're carnal. This is for spiritual men. Getting to know the eight names of God, which identify God's covenant with us, is a strategic teaching as well as a tactical teaching, which is purposed to be the calling of every warrior in prayer, which they are called to be clothed into as a mantle and as a holy garment that belongs to a king, priest, and prophet, who are anointed by the Holy Spirit to rule over their earthly body. If a person who is born from God has not accepted the given to him anointing, to rule over his calling, which is his mortal body, in the status of a king, priest, and prophet, so that he can change it into a heavenly body, then, and that is you proclaim the non-existent uh, stronghold of incorruption in your body as existent, then the revelation about God, consisting of his glorious name, Horn, that is purpose for worshiping God in spirit and in truth, will not profit profit or benefit him in, him in any way because due to his stiff neck he has refused the given to him by God calling to save his souls to then by the means of a saved soul to adopt his body by the truth that is contained in the redemption of Christ therefore the quality and lexicon which which we will be studying identifying the name of God contained in the function of the horn of salvation as with the previous names of God Most High is not able to be found in any dictionary of the world. Considering the fact that in scripture the symbol of a horn presenting the symbolic example of might everywhere where you will see the name of God might or his ability uh, to be mighty you will see horn. Before we begin to study the characteristics of the might of God and his unique name horn which contains the eternal, non-diminishing potential of the unexhaustive and countless abilities and powers of God with which he has created heaven and earth and all that is on it, including man, and with which he keeps and watches over this world to the great white throne, I will bring forth a short list of qualities and characteristics which identify the virtue of God contained in scripture in the name Horn. First, this is the sacral work that is being done in the temple of our body. And so sometimes you'll hear the word, uh, the phrase sacral offering. And so if this offering is not brought, we will not receive anything for anything to happen in this world. 
Jesus was a sacral offering. This is talking about uh, a burnt offering. The world replaced that and or they have almost uh, in a way adopted that in a way and so they use this word uh, and they use this phrasing in other uh, in other ways and so in Ukraine they call specific maybe people that were killed or groups of people they call it sacral offerings and so good snipers were hired and they were supposed to shoot in the one and the other so that they begin to have a conflict so they they shoot the police office in the direction of the police officers and the people also who came out to Maidan and at this time the nation decided oh, okay those are uh, trying to kill us and so that's what they called as a sacral offering in scripture the, the word sacral offering is Jesus Christ who has redeemed us and so the word sacral is always belonging to an offering and so an offering is a prayer that we talk about and so when we confess this sacral truth it becomes a prayer and this happens within the temple of our body and so the name of God horn is in this sacral confession when we bring an offering of praise we're bringing forth an praise as an offering this is the non-diminishing unsearchable nature of the power of God in his strength is the eternal and unquestionable power of God over the living and the dead we're talking about the horn of salvation what it means it is the power of the might of God to keep those that are condemned to death and so he has condemned the whole world to death and he keeps it in that way so that the lawless and the wicked and the world would not be able to escape this verdict and he does this specifically by the might of his horn the function of the horn further it is the power of the might of God to show the inevitability of death and so sometimes people want to escape it but it is inevitable it's not going to you're not going to be able to escape it they try to take medication or they try to try to find other ways to be able to avoid it or escape death but it is inevitable and it's going to happen the power of the might of God to perform judgment and righteousness by his servants the power of the might of God to demonstrate his wrath over the vessels of wrath and his mercy over the vessels of mercy the power of the might of God to sow and gather what was sown the power of the might of God to split and to separate the power of the might of God to destroy and to construct or build the power of God to restore what is destroyed the power of the might of God to blot out the sins of his nation the power of the might of God to perform signs and miracles and the power of the might of God to blot out the book blot out of the book of life the names of sinners or keep those that are not sinners there we can continue that list there are many uh, there, there, there are many, many qualities to the might of God. The list of the mighty works of God in His glorious name, Horn, concealed in the non-diminishing, non-exhaustive, and unsearchable works of God that are done by Him, by the mouth of holy men, that are led by the Holy Spirit, who have paid the price for the absolute and desired dependence upon the Holy Spirit. The functions that are contained in the name of God, Horn, as all of the previous names of God, 
in the relationship of God and man first make themselves known in the collaboration of our faith with the faith of God that are imprinted and abide within our heart and they consist in the covenant of blood, covenant of salt, and covenant of peace that are made between us and God in the baptism of water, Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit and fire. In Scripture, the name of God is the functioning, in the functioning meaning horn, is used as a symbol of might and strength, which is the virtue of military weaponry for warriors in prayer. And as warriors in prayer, we are called to clothe ourselves into the given functions of might so that we can successfully resist the organized powers of darkness who resist us or get in our way of fulfilling the will of God both within our body as well as out of our body. It is written, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, Ephesians 6.10, when he says, in the power of his might, here it's referring to the horn of our salvation. In scripture, the symbol of the horn of an animal, as we talked about, that grows from him, symbolizes one of the unique names of God that in the form of the preached to a seed of the word about the kingdom of heaven within our body contains the eternal, non-diminishing, and unsearchable potential of the might of God in his name horn. It is necessary for us to study under what circumstances and fulfilling what conditions are we called to collaborate our faith with the name of God Horn, to destroy within our body the stronghold of death and in its place erect the stronghold of eternal life, identifying the kingdom of heaven within our body. I will say ahead of time that the name of God Horn is so unique that when we will be studying the book of Revelations, there the name of God Horn will have the most important role because the four living creatures they are uh, four golden horns and I heard the voice of the first horn and then I heard the voice of the second horn and then it says I heard the voice of one of the living creatures this actually was talking all it's all about these horns what the horn will say is what the 24 elders will be doing the horn is the function of a prophet within our body. We're talking about the function of a king, priest, and prophet. The horn applies to the function of the prophet because a prophetic word, it is what destroys and it is what builds up. And to study this great and good goal, which is the greatest and unchanging will of God in the form of our first most or primary purpose, and our primary calling, it is necessary for us to answer four classical questions, and these are, in what, in what works, signs, and symbols do we see demonstrated the characteristics and qualities that the scriptures give the virtue of God in the functioning meaning of his name, Horn? What functions in our relationship with God are the qualities contained in the name of God, Horn, called to fulfill? What conditions do we need to fulfill so that we can provide God with the proper foundation that he needs to show himself in achieving our salvation in the function of his name, born? And by what signs do we examine ourselves as to whether God abides within our heart in the function of his name, horn, and that we are clothed into the virtue of his name, horn? First question, what, in what works, signs, and symbols do we see demonstrated the, 
the characteristics and the qualities that the scriptures give the virtue of God in the functioning meaning of his, of his name, Horn. Considering, therefore, that all of the previous and following names of God, which have been subjects we have been studying, will be found and revealed in the name of God, Horn, as they are dissolved in one the other, they flow one from the other, and in this way they identify the truthfulness of one the other, or they identify uh, each other. First, the name of God, Horn, called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart, in the might and glorious power of God, identifies and makes itself known in the virtues of the Heavenly Father that are revealed by Him in the Son of God, in the status of the Son of Man, who is born from the Virgin Mary. Let us listen to the prophecy of the priest Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, uh, and he was filled. They will continue to say that he uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they pro- and he prophesied about Christ, calling him Horn of Salvation for us, raised up in the house of David. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that he should be, that we should be saved from our enemies. We should be saved from our enemies, and it depends on the function of the name of God, horn, and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of all of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the the highest. And so, if we will not have the power of this name, we will not be able to, without fear, serve him in righteousness and holiness. We will fear our enemies. And you child, he's talking about his son, John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. And so before you will, for you will go before the face of the Lord that is before this horn to give acknowledgement to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give the light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the children grew in, the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Luke 167 through 80. In the ancient Greek language, the meaning of the verb raised up when it comes to Christ as the horn of our salvation means grew the horn of his might from him. And so until Christ was 30, he did not yet demonstrate this horn. He needed to grow it because he was in the body of man. And as the son of man, this might needed to be grown in him. And it required up to 30 years to be able to do that. So he can then demonstrate this might and preach the kingdom of heaven. And so raised up means grew the horn of his might from him, lifted up, resurrected, and woke him up from death, restore or reinstate and magnify his name above all his names. 
we can conclude that the undiminishing and unsearchable might in the name of God in its functioning meaning horn is called to be grown and demonstrated in the Son of God, in the status of the Son of Man, as well as in us in the form of the fruit of our spirit. Until we demonstrate the fruit of our spirit in the tree of life, we will not have this horn, we will not be able to collaborate. First, we need to grow this horn to be able to collaborate with the name of God horn. And furthermore, so that God receives the proper basis to demonstrate himself in our body in his name horn, it is necessary for us to collaborate with the truth of the word that is concealed within our heart and with the Holy Spirit who reveals the meaning of that truth that is concealed within our heart, whom we have received in the status of the Lord and Master of our lives so that we can be grown in the measure of fullness of growth in Christ. And so the mighty power of God within our spirit in the functioning meaning of his name horn is called to make itself known in the fruit of our spirit that is grown by us into the fruit of righteousness from the seed of the word of truth carrying in itself the undiminishing and unsearchable might of God in the virtue of his name horn which we have received by the preached word of the apostles and prophets. In Scripture, the fullness of the undiminishing and unsearchable might of God grown in the Eden of our heart in Christ Jesus that is presented in our membership or partaking to the new and holy Jerusalem in the mutual symbol of the seven horns of the as if slain lamb. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamp as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And so these seven horns and seven eyes are seven spirits of God, or the wholesomeness that is demonstrated or revealed through his spirit. It's not that they're seven individual spirits he is one but he makes itself himself known seven is the number of wholesomeness or fullness and seven belongs to the church and he shows himself makes himself known in the church and so these seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God are sent out into all the earth then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Here it's talking about, symbolically, it's the collaboration of our horn with the name of God horn, because the four living creatures are the four horns, the function. The twenty-four elders are also the function. We understand that all of this is our function. This is not that there are separate 24 individuals that, that were there. The 24 elders are kings and priests to God. That's what they will say about themselves. And so the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to, go, to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Revelations 5, 7 through 10. 
here we see the amazing collaboration of those who have grown into full measure of growth in Christ, who have the status of kings, priests, and prophets. The status of a king and a priest are the 24 elders, and the status of the prophet are the four living creatures. This is all one person or one church. It's not that uh, these are different categories of saints, or this is one category that has these three functions, possess these three functions, a king, priest, and prophet. The number seven, as we know, is a symbol and example of wholesomeness or fullness, identifying the symbol of the body of Christ in the form of the chosen by God remnant in the virtue of kings, priests, and prophets of the Most High that are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb from every tribe and language and nation and people, being led by the Son of God in the status of the Son of Man, who has seven horns, that means that he is the head of the church, which is why he had these seven horns. The church is his body, and he is the head of this body, and so he has these seven horns. He has uh, uh, the ability to see, as the, uh, the seven eyes he also has. Therefore, a component of the fruit of righteousness that is grown by us in, the, in Christ Jesus in the Eden of our heart represents the mighty power of God in his glorious name horn exclusively in those who have the status of warriors in prayer. They here pray as we can see in worship. This is a symbol of our worship that are clothed into the virtue of kings, priests, and prophets. This is how prophet Jeremiah sings about the might of God which is identified by his glorious name horn. He just sings about the might of God. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great and your name is great in might. He talks about the great and uh, horn of salvation. Great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King, for the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms there is none like you. Jeremiah 10, 6 through 7. See how Jeremiah collaborates with the name of God, Horn. Second, the name of God, Horn, called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart, in the mighty and glorious power of God, makes itself known in a church where they offer their means with all of their heart in the equivalent of money to build their body into a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Chronicles 29, 10-12 Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. And he is exalted because of, of his horn. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. Here it's talking about might, the horn. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. First Chronicles 29, 10-12 This is how David blessed the church. He used the word might and... <clears throat> from his line came, as we know, Jesus Christ. A person that honors the might of God with his means within the church of saints, he was talking, he was uh, saying these words, he was praying these words when people were offering. He saw how they were offering and he blessed the people 
made this be with them forever. And so a person that honors the might of God with his means within the church of saints is a person who establishes himself as the holy of the Lord and works with the name of God horn. Because a carnal person, when he offers, he is always waiting, uh, thinking he should be receiving something materialistic from this. A spiritual person, he waits to receive spiritual things. He wants to know God more. And so that's what the spiritual person is seeking when he's offering. And such a state of the human heart is testimony and confirmation of the fact that the given person has grown within his spirit the mighty power of God in the form of the horn of the righteous. Specifically having a horn of righteousness identifying the mighty power of God that has grown within our spirit and the fruit of righteousness by the means of which the horns of the wicked and lawless will be broken, God will show mercy and distinguish the righteous man from the wicked man so that in this way he can show the difference between the superior power of the horn that serves God and the power of the horn that does not serve God. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? How can you rob God? In tithes and offerings, he says. It is within our possession, but it is his belonging, it belongs to him. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. But they were bringing, but why is God saying you robbed me? Because they were bringing it so that they can get something materialistic from that, to have materialistic blessings. As Cain, who was bringing his offering and he wanted to use God in his own goals, in his own interests. And so he says, cursed, you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, as the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive them. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we will call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him, then you will again discern between the righteous and the wicked and between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. Malachi 3, 8 through 18. This is talking about the church. The world does not exist here. A church where people do not honor God with tithes and offerings with all of their heart that are cloaked into the format of tithe to confirm their calling in the form of the Holy of the Lord 
are not able to be called a church of saints, the place where God would be able to abide by the fruit of upright joy in the might of his name, Horn. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are his place. First Chronicles 16, 26-27. Here again, the Lord shows himself in the form of a horn. And when we're talking about a might, it's not talking about sorrow, it's talking about majesty and joy. And this is not all, the place of gathering where the might and gladness of God in the virtue of the horn presented in his clouds, that they are presented in his clouds that are being guided by his wind, and they go where he commands them to go. Here it's talking about the fact that we together are, we have, we possess this horn of righteousness. Ascribe strength to God, His excellence is over Israel, and His strength is in the clouds. O God, You are more awesome than Your holy places. Psalm 68, 34-35 And so this means that people that have the righteousness of God are a light, they present His interests. When the scriptures present us as clouds of the Most High, that are carried by the wind of the Holy Spirit, in this way God demonstrates the might of His name in such a church in the virtue of His horn. He demonstrates His salvation. The God of Israel is He who gives strength and power to His people. Blessed be God. Psalm 68, 35. We We were stunning strength, but it is in His name horn. The name of God's strength is in his name, Horn, because his horn is very strong. Third, the name of God, Horn, called to demonstrate demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart, in the might and glorious power of God, makes itself known in the covenant of God with us that is made with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. When a covenant was made, you needed to sound the horn. There were trumpets, there was shouting, but absolutely the horn was present that they would sound. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. When they see this horn of salvation, So they gathered together at at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa, and they offered to the Lord at that time seven hundred bulls and seven thousand sheep from the spoil they had brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all of their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord. See here an oath. They were using the oath. They took the took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Second Chronicles fifteen ten through 15. See, when a covenant is made, it's made with an oath. 
although the shouting of the human voice, the sounds of the trumpets, and the sound of horns contain specific sacral functions, as here the offering was brought, where the might of God was demonstrated in the virtue of his name Horn, they were not able to be identified with any other kind of words. These sounds. In their time, the oath that the men of Judah made with all of their heart and and seek the Lord with all of their soul was able to be identified by the words of the covenant, the meaning of which they could understand. Looking at this, we see that the sound of the trumpet and the sound of the horn was not able to be understood. Looking at this, we conclude that only the combination of the understood by the mind, words of the covenant, with the not understood with our mind, shout of the human voice, sound of the trumpet and sound of the horn, are able to present the might of God in the virtue of his name, Horn. So the words with which the men of Judah diligently swore so that they can make a covenant with the God of their fathers were able to be understood with the mind. At the same time, the shouting voice, the sound of the trumpet and sound of the horn were beyond the understanding and comprehension of their mind. We conclude that the shout of the human voice, the sound of the trumpet and the sound of the horn necessary for making a covenant with God were the symbol of the function of speaking these were the symbol of the function of speaking in tongues, speaking of the great works of God that first were given to us for the edification of our spirit, allowing our spirit to speak mysteries to God that are hidden from all minds, including our own, our own personal mind, and second, served as a sign for the unbeliever. When the day of the Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where where they were sitting. It's interesting how this mighty wind filled the whole house, and yet not even a hair on their head was moving, but there was a rushing mighty wind that filled the whole house. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And so, tongue, uh, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. When these uh, divided tongues as of fire came upon them, and, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there, and they didn't understand what they were saying when they were speaking these words. And there were dwelling, and they, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And they lived there. They had a specific uh, position sometimes, and so everyone would come to Jerusalem during the. Uh, uh, Feasts, the Feast of the Pentecost and other feasts. This was the Feast of the Pentecost when this occurred. And from all different countries, uh, Jews had come who knew, Jews who knew other languages, the languages of the nations in which they lived. And suddenly they heard. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. Why did they become confused? Not from the noise because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Every one of them was hearing their own language. These up to 120 people, all these 120 people were speaking 
uh, the language of the person hearing. There were a lot of languages, but everyone was hearing their own. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all of those who speak Galileans? And so they spe- they specifically, they spoke their original Hebrew language, but with an accent. Galileans specifically had an accent when they spoke in Hebrew. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphia and Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoined Sir with Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Acts 2, 1 through 11. And so you see, you know how some denominations say, well, this was then because there was no missionary uh, missionary groups or uh, and now there's no need, they say, to speak in tongues because there's missionary groups. Sometimes these people don't hear even what they themselves are saying. The spe- uh, speaking in tongues is given for the edifying of our spirit and it's communication between us and God. I had a number, a, a, a neighbor who was a pastor from a Baptist church and he would, t- I was in his uh, church and as their house of prayer was bigger, sometimes uh, our church that I was part of, the, the Pentecostal church, uh, we, would, uh, we would get together in the same building. And, and so he came out and he, he said, brothers and sisters, we used to cuss, but now we speak in tongues. We no longer cuss. That's how he understood. I then told him, his name was Boris, and I told them, Boris, do you understand what kind of foolishness you were speaking on the stage? The disciples, according to your uh, explanation, the, the, then what you're saying is the disciples couldn't get rid of their Uh, cussing their dirty language for three and a half years and why because after only three and a half years did he they receive the the gift of speaking in tongues so according to what you're saying is that's how that would have happened but that's foolishness and so he of course couldn't say anything about it I just showed him this example and I and I told him don't say these things anymore and so if when when making a covenant where we consciously form a legitimate relationship with God and there is an absence of words we don't understand in the form of shouting the sound of the trumpet and the sound of the horn that present enlightenment given by the Holy Spirit to our spirit in the format of speaking in tongues then such a covenant definitely needs to be questioned because we are called to make a covenant with God in the function of the covenant in the function of the covenant of blood, covenant of salt, and covenant of peace, in the functions of the three baptisms, baptism of water, baptism of the spirit, and baptism of fire. Why have we stopped only uh, on the baptism of water or the baptism of spirit and are not continuing on to baptism of fire? We don't accept it. 
Why? Because we don't want to, we don't know how to accept it or for other reasons. So that this not appear unsubstantiated, I will bring forth three testimonies by which we need to judge the faithfulness of the union of words we comprehend and words we don't comprehend when we make a covenant with God. It came to it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately came, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Mark 1, 9, 10. In the given situation, the covenant that Jesus made with his heavenly Father in the baptism of water in the virtue of the Son of Man was marked by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which came down on Jesus in the form of a dove when he was coming out of the water. Jesus making his covenant with God in the baptism of water in the status of a Son of Man is an example of us of how we need to determine the legitimacy of our relationship in the covenant with God in Jesus Christ. Then Philip opened his mouth and and beginning at the scripture preached Jesus to him it was the Ethiopian if you remember he was walking and he opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture preached Jesus to him now as they went down the road they came to some water and the eunuch said see here is water what hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's why when we baptize, we say, Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? <clears throat> and a person responds, I do believe, and he is baptized. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Acts 8.35-39 If the Holy Spirit would not have come down upon the eunuch when he, like Jesus, came out of the water, his covenant with God that was made in the baptism of water would not have been legitimate in the eyes of God. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe in him who would come after him, that is Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so they were baptized uh, in water, and he, he they were rebaptized in this case. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Acts 19, 1 through 6. I brought forth these three uh, places, examples, showing the unfortunate uh, status of many churches that, that ignored the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Today, the, mo the most powerful baptism of, of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, is amongst Catholics and, in part, the Orthodox. And now it's not just the Pentecostal uh, individual people of the Pentecostal faith can say that they're receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Catholics and Orthodox are doing this also. And even Baptists are beginning to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues, remaining still Catholics, Baptists, and Orthodox. Why? Because that's where the Lord has baptized them. If you remember, we used to have uh, a brother Pedro in our church. He had departed to the Lord already. He, a Catholic Episcopal, once invited to him to his church, and he came. Uh, he said, I want you to tell my church who the Holy Spirit is and pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said, I became afraid. He said, I never prayed uh, for the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit for anyone. And I went there in fear. There was about a thousand people, a thousand Catholics in the church, in the building. And he he explained to them what the Holy Spirit is, how to receive him. He stretched out his hands over this crowd and began to glorify God in tongues. And suddenly this entire group of people began to speak in tongues. And he was very surprised because many, even people in the Pentecostal churches don't accept that. Meeting some of the disciples, Apostle Paul was able to immediately determine that their baptism, <clears throat> where they made a covenant with God, was not enough to provide God with legitimate grounds upon which to demonstrate himself in their hearts in the might of the horn of their salvation, because he is the horn of our salvation. Finding out about this, the disciples of John the Baptist immediately showed that they were ready to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And when Paul laid his hand on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. According to the given place of Scripture, it is specifically the baptism of the Holy Spirit that makes the covenant that we make with God legitimate. As a matter of fact, everything that God does and accomplishes is always accomplished by the glorious and mighty power of the Holy Spirit acting by the name of God Horn. And so this presence of the Holy Spirit identifies the legitimacy of all of the works of God. And so if the Holy Spirit will not confirm our words and will not work with our words, then, and they're not in the Holy Spirit, the Lord will not receive these words. You need to collaborate our horn with God's horn, and for this to happen, it's necessary to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if in our relationship with God, the seal of the Holy Spirit is missing, that is presented in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which identifies the non-diminishing and unsearchable might of God in the virtue of His name, Horn, this more likely speaks of the fact that we do not have any legitimate relationship with God in the status of a king, priest, and prophet. There is a relationship. That doesn't mean God does not respond to uh, Baptists and, and, and those of the Catholic faith or Orthodox faith, but He does not speak to them as kings, priests, and prophets, but with carnal men as with Hagar in the wilderness. So you not think that I'm uh, separating people so much so that have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that uh, that they'll be saved and no one else is. Because of this, our relationship with God is in the status of Hagar, Hagar who was lost in the wilderness. If we 
speak in tongues, but we have not received the Holy Spirit Himself, the individual, because speaking in tongues is not receiving of the Holy Spirit Himself. All the Pentecostal uh, people, those or many of them and their leaders say, this is receiving of the Holy Spirit when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Baptism is submerging into the Holy Spirit, but that does not mean that you... And so what does the Holy Spirit do? He submerges us into Jesus Christ. And so we are submerged in water, and now He submerges us into Jesus Christ going further. But that doesn't mean that He is abiding as Lord and Master. For Him to be as Lord and Master, we need to not be that sister whose breasts have not grown who when they come and ask for her she is not ready to marry this is just a proverb of course but in actuality the Lord will never knock upon the door if she is still too young she has not grown why is he to knock there it's useless to knock because the person won't hear the knock he won't understand he won't differentiate the voice of God from other voices he has not been grown into full measure of growth in Christ he knocks into that door the Lord when he knows that his bride is already there that the person has been grown into full measure of growth in Christ and that he's ready to receive the Holy Spirit as his Lord and master and be led by the Holy Spirit wherever he may lead him he doesn't want to be led any longer by his mind his carnal mind He doesn't want to be led. He wants the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth and be led by the Holy Spirit. Fourth, the name of God, Horn, called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart, in the might and glorious power of God, makes itself known in the format of the shown to us holiness and the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. We are are identifying uh, the name of God, Horn, where it is. Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, Lord, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servants your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? Here he's saying your mighty deeds, speaking of the horn of a salvation. I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, these pleasant mountains and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me so the Lord said to me enough of that speak no more to me of this matter go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes toward the west the north the south the east behold it behold it with your eyes for you shall not cross over this Jordan but command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him for he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 28. This was the prayer of Moses. Here he collaborates with the name of God Horn, or he attempted to collaborate with the name of God Horn, but the Lord told him, enough of this, don't speak of this matter again. You can't collaborate with this name. You did not demonstrate this horn. You did not demonstrate my holiness. We're talking about... uh, the horn is identified in the format of holiness. In this case, he did not demonstrate holiness. You did not believe me at the at the wa- at the at the rock where w- the waters came out. This is all, of course, very symbolic for us. 
The reason why God rejected the plea of Moses and did not allow him to continue to lead his nation into the land of Canaan was because when he needed to demonstrate holiness before the nation of God, presenting the mighty the might of God in his name Horn, Moses did not demonstrate the inherent to God holiness so that symbolically in this way he would give Joshua the ability who symbolizes the Holy Spirit to lead the chosen by God nation into the land of Canaan. Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day saying, go up to this mountain of the of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho, view the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people, just as Aaron, your brother, died on Mount Hor, and was gathered to his people. Because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the works of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hallow me in the midst of the children of Israel, yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 3, uh, 32, 48-52 We need to clarify for ourselves the fact that if we like Moses, when we need to demonstrate the holiness of the Lord, we choose not to show it, then God will demonstrate His holiness over us in the form of depriving us of the promise consisting in the ability to enter into the land of Canaan. refusing to demonstrate the holiness of God so that you can provide the Holy Spirit with legitimate grounds upon which to show to us the non-diminishing and unsearchable might of God in His name Horn is the resistance of our faith to the faith of God and deprives us of the right to the power to enter into the land of Canaan. Entry into the land of Canaan implies the erection of the stronghold of immortality within our body. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring forth, uh, bring water forth from the rock. And so this is simple obedience. Uh, and so, so you question, what if I hit the rock and uh, the water doesn't come out, and I will turn out to be a liar? What prompted the unbelief? Sometimes the Holy Spirit tells us something through the preached word, but we are afraid to confess it because we think for ourselves, what if it will not happen? What if it will not occur? Never think about that. This is not our role. This is God's role. My role is to strike the rock. And so take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock, before their eyes and it will yield its water thus you shall bring uh, so we don't need to strike it when it says speak to the rock and it will yield its water and so the water was supposed to come out not by the 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 strike but by the word thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals so Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him he fulfilled the first part and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear me, you rebels. And so, why is he saying how they are right now? Hear now, you rebels. Because he could have just come to the rock and just told the rock, Give forth water, as God told them. But he began to turn, he began to call them who they were. Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? 
you see he's uh, he question he's asked the question should we bring water for out of this rock and so in this way he's questioned whether the water will come out of the rock then and so this was a question he asked then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod he needed just to say the word and hold his rod in his hand and his and water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel they began to question it, doubt it And so he said, what, water from this rock? And he hit it. He didn't expect water to come. He didn't believe it. And the nation, of course, didn't believe because they were convinced the rock can't bring forth water, but it did. And so you did not hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not, you did not collaborate my horn with your horn, my might with my might. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. Numbers 27 through 13. And as you can see in this sad narrative, we see concealed a surprising symbol of our salvation that occurs by the means of the non-diminishing and unsearchable might of God in his name Horn, presented in the holiness of the Holy Spirit, presented or presenting the symbol of water that flows from the rock symbolizing Christ and so the Holy Spirit is the water that came Jesus is the rock himself the symbol of Moses is the symbol of the Son of God in the status of the Son of Man who died for us taking our sin upon himself he took the sin of the nation upon himself so that in this way to provide the Holy Spirit with a legitimate basis in the form of Joshua to lead us into the land of Canaan where milk and honey flow I'm just bringing forth or explaining the symbol. It was truly an unfortunate event, but in this unfortunate event, there is a very beautiful example shown. But now I go away, Jesus says, to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And so again, it's in your benefit that I go, he's saying. And, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so he will convict, convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now however when he the, the spirit of truth has come he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak he will he will tell you things to come he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you all the all things all things that the Father uh, that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that He will take of mine and declare it to you. John sixteen five through fifteen. 
The symbol of the land of Canaan, as we talked about earlier, is our body that is built into the temple of the Holy Spirit because of our new person that has grown into full measure of growth in Christ, who is capable of producing the fruit of holiness, demonstrated in the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, consisting in our ability to be led by the Holy Spirit or to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, when Moses found out that God had prepared death for him for the sin of the nation, he began to plead with God so that he send them a man that would be able to lead them into the land of Canaan. Jesus also did. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of all the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep, which have no shepherd. Because if I die, he's thinking, who will place a person for them. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. <clears throat> Set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest, he shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At this word they shall go out, and at this word they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with them, all their congregation. And so he needed to turn to Eleazar, because the Urim and the Thummim were upon uh, Eleazar. And so why would Eleazar not be doing this? If you may ask the question, no, Joshua will turn to him. There's the Urim and the Thummim, and through Eleazar he will speak to the Lord, and Joshua will then do whatever is said. And at his word they shall come in, and he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses said, or did as the Lord commanded him, he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before the, all the congregation, and he laid his hand on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded the hand of Moses. Numbers 27, 15 through 23. Jesus behaved the same way. When his time came to take the sin of his nation upon himself and die for them upon the Golgotha cross, he pleaded with the Heavenly Father in Gethsemane that he sent his disciple the Holy Spirit. In this way, the might of God and the functioning meaning of his name, Horn, identified, identifies itself in the Eden of our heart, in the might of the demonstrated by us fruit of holiness within the Holy Spirit, which makes itself known in the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your, your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6, 23. Fifth, the name of God, Horn, called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart, in the might and glorious power of God, makes itself known in the horn that is filled with oil to anoint us as warriors in prayer in the virtue of kings, priests, and prophets. And so to have the virtue of a king, priest, and prophet, you needed a horn, <clears throat> but not an empty horn, but one that's filled with oil. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. You see, uh, Samuel had a horn that belonged to him. And this horn he needed to anoint kings, to anoint priests. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. 
for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. So the horn that is filled with oil, called to anoint a person to, to be a king, a priest, and a prophet, implies the mighty individual Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself. This is well known or well shown where Samuel anointed David to be king over Israel. Then the Holy Spirit that had previously dwelt with Saul stepped away from him. In essence, in scripture, the symbol of the oil that was used in the temple service was the individual Holy Spirit who reveals the meaning of the truth that is concealed within our heart. According to the testimony of Scripture, the presence of the horn that is filled with oil representing the symbol of the Holy Spirit in the form of the Lord and Master of our life revealing the meaning of the truth that is concealed within our heart is to be examined by the following criteria. By the ability to rule by the means of your renewed mind over the will and emotion aspects of your soul by the ability to be a priest within your spirit in the form of a warrior in prayer, worshiping God in spirit and in truth, by the ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit within your spirit or be led by the Holy Spirit. The horn, the horn with oil is belonging to the temple or belonging to the tabernacle of David where the golden ark of the covenant was. An absence of the horn with oil within the temple of our body in the form of the rule of the Holy Spirit testifies of the fact that either our temple has turned into an idol house or we have not yet cleansed our conscience from dead works and have not built our body into the temple of the Holy Spirit. And King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehodiah. So they came before the king. The king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. There let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel, and blow the horn, and say, Long live King Solomon. And so he needed to have this uh, priest and prophet there present and there they needed to anoint him as a king over Israel. Then you shall come up come after him, and he shall come up. And so it said, blow the horn and proclaim, say, long live the king. Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place. For I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah, the son of Jehodiah answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of the Lord, the king, say so. May my Lord, the king, say so too. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, even so, may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of the Lord, King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehodiah, And so they did, just as it said, if you keep reading, that they placed, Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon, and they blew the horn, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. In the given situation, the horn that is in the tabernacle is the symbol of the truth that abides in the temple of our body. Truth always has might. 
If we have received truth in our heart, the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ, then that means that the horn is in the tabernacle. The truth uh, represents this horn. At the same time, the oil with which the horn was filled is a symbol of the Holy Spirit abiding in the temple of our body within the boundaries of the truth that is imprinted upon the tablets of our heart, which is cleansed from dead works by the truth of the blood of Christ. That reveals the meaning of this truth. The revelation, the meaning of the truth is oil. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit together. Not just an empty horn, but a horn filled with oil. Our time is up. Let us bend our knees and our heads, and we will pray and thank the Lord for the words we were able to receive today. The Lord began began to reveal to us Himself in a new name, Horn. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for the new opportunity to be with your nation upon this blessed place where your might and your glory and that of the Holy Spirit is here. Here, the throne of your word exists and here is your spirit that reveals the meaning of that truth. We thank you for the new name that today you have begun to reveal to us the horn of our salvation that contains the might of the blood that was shed for us upon the cross. This is such great might that no hell can withstand and all hell departs in shame. We thank you that we receive our justification because of the blood shed upon the cross. This is your work. This is not what we do, but what you do and you've done. When we receive this truth, we put into ourselves the horn of your salvation for our soul and our body. We thank you that in our body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, we have the horn with oil. And when we confess our words in the power of the Holy Spirit, then here your horn makes itself known. Here the horn of the righteous is exalted over the horn of the wicked. May your mercy be blessed. Allow our heart to understand these surprising words which you revealed to us in these last days. In these eight names, where you have made a covenant with David as well as with us. And in this way, through your Son Jesus Christ, you have made us partakers of the blessings of Abraham. May your mercy be a blessing forever and ever. And your mercy and your goodness, may it bring us to the revelation of the promise that is at the door of our hope. We thank you for this amazing promise that we have received in the soil of our good heart to grow it into the fullness of growth in Christ so that it can become um, your mighty horn 
with which we will destroy the stronghold of death in our body and will erect the stronghold of life. May the horn of salvation be lifted up in our body as well as in the body of all saints that hear these words and accept them. We thank you for your mighty and your glorious word and we worship before God our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.